Let's return to the scripture that we read with Tyler just a moment ago from 2 Kings chapter 2. This is our first time in 2 Kings. We've been in 1 Kings as we've looked through the life of Elijah. And uh, we come this morning uh, to the last <clears throat> lesson in our study of Elijah. Before we turn to 2 Kings chapter 2 to look at these verses, let's do what we always do and pray and ask the Father who was there with Elijah, who's here with us this morning. Let's ask him to teach us. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we come as your priests, all of us together. You've not only called us to be prophets that take your word and your gospel to the world around us, to our families, our children, parents. You've not only called us to take the gospel to our neighborhood, to our schools, to our work. Father, everywhere we go, we're to be salt and light, taking your gospel to the ends of the earth. Yet, Father, you've also called us to be priests. The priest comes before you with the cares of the world around them. They come before you to pray for family, for children, for parents, for grandchildren, for grandparents, for next door neighbors, for brothers and sisters in Christ, for state and country. Oh, Father, we bow before you as priests this morning and we do ask for our country. As Jay read what's known as the last words of David this morning. Oh, Father, we pray for the truth that he spoke, that he who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Oh, Father, we pray that in this election you would give us rulers who will rule in the fear of God. Father, we pray that these riots would cease. We pray that peace and justice would prevail. We ask, Father, even though our country's turned away from you, we would plead for your mercy and plead for your grace. We pray that you would bless those brothers and sisters in Christ here at Christ Presbyterian who are suffering this day from various illnesses, from sicknesses, 
We pray that you would bring healing. You know them. You know every person. You know what our needs are. We pray that you would meet those needs and bring healing to this congregation. Bring healing to the individuals who are sick. Our Father, now we ask that you would teach us. John Sartell cannot teach so that it will make any difference in our lives. He can't speak so that we're changed from the inside out. But Father, you're able to teach that way. We've heard your voice in this room, the voice of your word, in the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray that this morning we would hear you speak, that you would change us, maybe some of us for the first time. For those that have, you've already changed, we pray that that change would continue this morning and we would leave different in some way than when we came in. Father, bless for the glory of Jesus, your Son. Amen. <clears throat> Myth or miracle? What did you think when we read this passage this morning? Elijah smiting the waters, walking across. Chariots of fire taking him home. Elisha taking up his garment, his prophetic robe, smiting the waters and going back across. What did you think of that? Myth? You ever believe that happened? Myth or miracle? In Elijah and Elijah's era in Israel, we see a plethora of miracles taking place. In chapter after chapter, we see one long storm of continuous, miraculous activity. These miracles seem directly related to the presence of these two prophets. The miracles are so prominent that people in every age have asked, this really happened? Is it legend? Or is it miracle? That's the question before the house this morning. But before, before we address that, I would like to take a brief detour and ask you another question. Who are the mentors in your life? No matter what your age is, no matter how young, we just think, you know, someone young, they, they need a mentor. All of us need mentors. So no matter what your age, who are the mentors in your life? On Mount Horeb, God told Elijah to anoint Elisha as a prophet who would take his place. That seemed to be the first action that Elijah took after he left the mountain. It follows immediately. Elisha was sought out by Elijah and was anointed. Since that day, Elisha had followed Elijah wherever he went. He became his protege. He became his assistant. If you saw Elijah, you saw Elisha. 
We saw it in the passage this morning as we read it. Maybe you had a question as you read it. Three times Elijah told Elisha, stay here. Stay at Gilgal. Stay at Bethel. Stay at Jericho. And Elisha said, no, I will go with you to the end. I think Elijah was trying to spare himself and Elisha the pain of seeing Elijah depart. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. And then in the end, Elijah asked his young protege, what can I do for you? What one thing may I grant to you? What did he ask? It was such a wise request. Let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. What a crucial relationship. Think about the effect that relationship had on Elisha. And what a crucial and wise request. Elijah was a mentor to Elisha. You look through scripture, you see it all through the stories. Joshua had Moses. David had Jonathan. Elisha had Elijah. Jeremiah had Isaiah. Paul had Barnabas. I cannot think of better advice for us at any age than that. Have a mentor. Seek out a godly and wise mentor or mentors. Now, Elijah chose, or God chose, Elijah to be the mentor to Elisha. The mentor can choose the mentoree. The mentoree can choose the mentor. We don't need to formalize it. This week I wrote down the names of the men and women that had been used in my life to literally change me. I wouldn't be the same person if it weren't for these people. I wrote down the name of my father, Preston Sartell. I wrote down the name of my college president, Robert Todd Lapsley Liston. I wrote down the name of Maud and Jim Hawkins, a couple that lived in Coburn, Virginia. I wrote down the name of Dr. Philip Edgecombe Hughes, a Greek New Testament scholar. Dr. Francis Schaefer, R.C. Sproul. All those people had one thing in common, or have one thing in common. They're home with the Lord now. None are left. But there's still a couple of men. They happen to be younger than I am. And I look to them as my mentors presently. None of these people came to me and said, I want to be your mentor. I didn't go to them and say, I want you to be my mentor. They would have probably told me no. I don't want to be your mentor. I don't want to take responsibility for your idiocy. But I just attached myself to them. I was like a bad penny that wouldn't go away. I only met Dr. Schaefer one time. But over a period of five years, I listened to 600 hours of his tapes from LaVrie. Listened to his teaching. All the others, I just spent as much time as God gave me with them. 
My desire was to be like them, to emulate them. That spirit that was in them that made them so special, I wanted that. What we're really saying is that God probably puts these people in our lives for that specific purpose. I heard a Christian composer and singer speak of his mentor when his mentor called him and told him he lived halfway across the country and he called and said, I'm moving to your city. When he asked why, he said, I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He was saying to the young man, I want to spend my last days with you. I want to teach you how to die. This passage forced me to ask that question this week, to look back at my mentors. What do you think? How do you think Elisha always referred to Elijah after he was gone? That's the way I look at these men. Who are your mentors? Are they godly? Are they wise? Are they the right kind of people? Are you asking for a double portion of their spirit? Are you praying wisely? what you can obtain from them. Well, that's the detour. <clears throat> now the question, the main point, the main question for the house. Miracle or myth? When Jesus was about to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, he said to Martha, Lazarus' sister, you know the words. He said, I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you see that? He looked at her and said, Martha. Martha was his friend. Martha, do you believe this? Why did he ask her that question? Because first century folks had the same problems with miracles that people today have with miracles. I read an article by a religion editor of a well-known newspaper. Read it three weeks ago. He made the offhand comment he just, in, in his article, most Christians no longer believe that Jesus is returning. He personally considered the second coming of Jesus to be a myth. Many modern modern commentaries consider the miracles which occurred with Elijah and Elisha to be legends. Now, Tyler, he went to a very conservative, wonderful seminary uh, that was not there when I went to seminary. I went to a very, my denomination I was in then was very liberal, and I went to a very liberal seminary, and I was taught that these were legends, these were myths. But the person who says, who thinks this is myth, who teaches that, they have a literary problem. 
The accounts of these miracles are not written in the form that in which myths are usually written. It doesn't have a mythical form to it. They're written in the form of historical narrative. If you ask the writer of 1 Kings, if these miracles happened in space-time history, he would have said, well, of course, this is historical narrative. First and second Kings, they're history books, history of the kings of Israel. Ahab was really on the throne, a historical character. His wife, Jezebel, she was the daughter of the king of Sodom. Mount Carmel is a real place. This was in a historical context. So why do miracles seem more prominent during the period of Elijah and Elisha then? We don't see that in the lives of many other prophets. There are usually reasons. If you stop and study, there's usually reasons that miracles become so prominent at one time or another. Why were miracles so prominent, for instance, in the life of Jesus? He claimed to be deity. He claimed to be the Son of God and Son of Man. If he was indeed the Son of God, then what do you expect of him? You expect him to do what mere man cannot do. You expect him to make the blind to see. You know, the question would be, if he didn't make the blind to see, if he didn't make the deaf to hear, if he didn't make the paralyzed to walk, and he still claimed to be the son of God, the same people, these same liberal thinkers, would be saying, well, if he was God, why didn't he do something about this? Why didn't he heal? Jesus over and over again said, I'm doing this to show you who I am. A man I knew in my first pastorate was an atheist. He was a CPA, loved the bottom lines of things. He was an atheist. We would talk, we would debate. He did not believe in the incarnation. He did not believe Jesus was Son of God, but he had a problem, and it bothered him as an atheist. He had a problem with the miracles. He was brilliant. He understood that the miracles were presented in the Gospels as historical narrative. As he continued to read the evidence, I watched as he began to doubt his atheism. He had believed that the universe was closed, that all there was atoms, molecules, all that it was just matter. That's all. There was nothing beyond matter. We were made up of so many elements in a periodic chart. And that, that's it. There was nothing beyond. There was no mind be behind the universe. There was no spiritual being beyond the universe. Closed. Nothing else. One evening he called me. May I come by? We sat in my office. He sat right across from me. And Vernon said, John, I've come to tell you that I'm no longer an atheist. 
I believe Jesus was the Son of God and Son of Man. He could not explain away the miracles. There was a reason miracles had to emanate from the life of Jesus. But why in the era of Elijah and Elisha? It's easy to understand. It's not hard. Elijah's Israel did not have this book. They did not have the New Testament. They did not have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They didn't know the whole story. They didn't even have the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah. They had not yet been written. They had the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible. From the beginning, the northern kingdom had been running away from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They thought about that God the way that people think about God in this country today. They said, he's archaic. It's not real. It's old. In Elijah and Elisha's prophetic ministry, God was making himself known through miracles. It's right there. We studied it just a few weeks ago at Mount Carmel. Look at what happened in 1 Kings 18, verse 21. Look at it on your scripture sheet. Just if you hadn't looked at anything, look at this. You see it. It's right there for you to see. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, it's 1 Kings 18, 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal be God, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you shall call upon the name of your God. And I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. This was the reason for the miracles during the era of Elijah and Elisha. Elijah just said, let's prove who God is. God was making himself known at Carmel that day. Folks, here, here, you don't think about it this way. We don't think about it. It's just a book. Here are our miracles. We have the whole story. The Messiah has come. We have the miracles. Over and over and over, God says to us in Scripture, Jesus said it. Let them read Moses and the prophets. Let them read the book. He said, let them read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Let them read. Jesus said it this way. He said, if they don't read and believe, then they won't believe if someone rises from the dead. Listen to how this book is described. We we do not. We lose view of this. I lose view of this, of what this book is. It's a miraculous book from beginning to end, over and over and over, God proving himself, showing himself. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Please look at these scriptures on your scripture sheet. 
But as for you, continue. This is Paul writing to young Timothy. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have become acquainted with the sacred writings. That's what he called them. These are different. This is not a novel. It's sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Do you understand? What I'm dealing with here is holy. What you're dealing with, what you're holding, is God breathed. God breathed it for our teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for it, saying, you've got the miracles. You don't need any more. You've got it. Look at 2 Peter 1.16. addresses this issue that's before us this morning. Peter says this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you. Do you see that? We didn't. This is not myth. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have a prophetic word more than fully confirmed. We have the word which is confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns. And the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all. Know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. This is not written like a novel. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. People, this is a book of miracles that is a miracle in itself. It's supernatural. Now with that as a background... But that is a background. That's the backdrop. Don't worry, we're near the end of the sermon. It's that a background. Let's look briefly at Elijah's departure from this earth. Look at verse 11. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elijah saw it and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel. And it's horse. And he saw him no more. Notice it does not say that the chariots took him. A whirlwind. Fire. What a scene this must have been. Think about that. Scene is miraculous. They're walking along talking. And suddenly something comes between them. A horse of fire. Fiery horse. Chariot. And a whirlwind. What's going on? What a scene that had to be. Remember in Scripture? Fire and wind represent the Holy Spirit. What happened when the Holy Spirit descended on the church at Pentecost? Fire in that room. Fiery tongues. And what a wind, a wind making a great noise, a great wind. Have you ever felt a wind inside of us? How have you felt a fan? No, this was a wind inside of a room. 
Holy Spirit enveloped Elijah. And off he went. Apparently he did not die. It says he went up and we're reminded of the, what would we use? He went up. He ascended. We're reminded of the ascension of Jesus. Remember how that happened? It's just like that in Acts 1, 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood up, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Was the ascension of Jesus a myth? You look at this and say, man, this looks like legend over here with Elijah. But does this, you know, if you say that about Elijah, you're going to have to say this looks like legend. And yet it's given an historical narrative. You see, once you start down that path, you can't stop. Was the incarnation a myth? Where does it stop? If you had said to John, imagine. Now, you know John. You've gotten to, in our study, the adults here in our study of Revelation, you've gotten to know John. And we've met him in the Gospels. What if you had gone to the Apostle John and said, you know, John, that had to be myth. I mean, Jesus rising, really? The angels, really? John said, what are you talking about? I I can show you where we were standing. I can take you to where we were. I can name the date. Yes, I was standing there. We were all standing there. I was there. That's what Peter was saying. We saw it. We witnessed it. That's what disturbed Vernon so much. Those righteous men, not charlatans. Righteous men bore testimony to this. When we look at Elijah's departure, by the way, he, he, he went home without his, he went home with his body. That's the difference. Had to be changed somewhere. If he went to heaven, he had to be transformed in some way. But when we look at Elijah's departure, We should not think what a miracle his is compared to our own departure. Is our own departure not miraculous? In Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 5, 8, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, Paul says to be absent from the body, to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Think about that for a minute. That's what he says to us. When a loved one is departing, what did did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me in paradise. That's what he says to us. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's what David said. 
Yea, though, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is your eschatology? What is your view of death and judgment and the consummation of history? Elijah, as we said, went home to be with the Lord. He just had his body with him. That's the difference. If I understand Scripture, I must say to you that if you're in Christ, if you love Him, if you know Him, that there'll be a departure date and you will go to be with Him. Is that not just as miraculous? Is it not? You see, we give away the precious gifts of God himself if we give this away to the world. We spend much too little time dealing with these truths in Scripture and in prayer. I fear that too many of us are Christians who have faith. We say we have faith, but we're living in that closed world. Maybe you've not seen physical fire fall from heaven. Neither have I. Maybe you've not seen a person physically ascend into heaven. But people, this earth is filled with his presence. The earth is filled with his glory. Creation speaks. No creation shouts to us daily of his presence and his everyday providence. Not just his presence in creation, but his providence shouts to us. One after this, I was writing this message, studying this message. And a friend of mine, dear friend, close friend, called me. In his first words, I said, hello. And he said, John, I just called to tell you God is alive and present. And I said, that's just what I'm writing here. I said, but what made you say that? He said, you know, I'm dealing with this situation and he said, I wanted to call this man, and this man, he's not real close to this man. They don't speak often at all. And he knew the man was moving at mock speed. He knew the man had a full, long day. He didn't need to be bothered. And he said, my wife asked me, he said, what are you going to do? He said, I guess the only thing I can do is, is call this man. He said, I'm just going to sit, though, and pray about it for a few minutes before I do. Didn't want to. In five minutes, the phone rings, and this man's on the phone. How are you? Just call and check on you. I can promise you, during the last year, this man had not called him one time to check on you. He said, John, I just wanted to tell you. You know, God's alive and he's real. And I said, John, you didn't know this. The man that called me, his name is John. He sa I said, John, you didn't know this, but that's exactly what I'm writing right now. That's the subject at hand before me. Earlier in the week, I was thinking about this message and wondering, I've never preached, by the way, on Elijah's departure. And I was, I've done a study of Elijah before, but not with the detail we use this time. And I wondered, should I do this? 
I'd received a note in the mail. And it was from a member of this congregation. And the note, it was a note of gratitude and, and encouragement. And, but before this person wrote on her sanctuary, on her stationery, excuse me, on her stationery, before she wrote, Dear John, she took her stationery and had written out a quote from Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Now, she had no idea, you know, what, you know, she just, I guess, had run across it. And here's that quote as I'm thinking about this message. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries, end quote. The lady who sent that to me had no idea that she was encouraging me to preach this message at the very moment I was thinking about it. That quote from Browning alludes to Moses at the burning bush. That was a miracle. And he stopped and he saw it. And what did he do? He took off his shoes in reverence. Browning said that most people would see the burning bush and just keep picking their wilderness blackberries. I read the note and I just laughed. I handed it to Terry. We were sitting at the table. I handed it to her and said, read this. If I had any doubts about preaching this message, none remained. We need to go home today and we ask, need to first ask ourselves. I need to ask me and you need to ask yourself. Do I really believe this? Do I really believe that one day soon, and our departure will come sooner than you think, even if you're only 20 and you think you have 70 years left. Let me tell you, it goes quickly, doesn't it? Indeed. It will come soon. Do I believe that one day soon I'll go home to be with the Lord? That what happened to Elijah will happen to me? And then when he returns to consummate history, do I believe I'll return with him and receive a resurrected body? Do I really believe that? We need to ask that. And then we need to turn to our wives and husbands and those who we count precious and say, do you believe this? I want to make sure. Do you believe this? We need to ask our children. Do you believe this? It's the most important thing in your entire life. Do you believe this? I want you to be there. I want the circle to be unbroken. It's the gospel. It's truth. And it's a miracle. But you know, with the God of heaven and earth, it's just quite normal, isn't it? 